Good morning. Glad you're here. Just a couple announcements. One, Vacation Bible School, as you heard on the announcements earlier, are right around the corner. You can see the trees growing here for the set, and the set will continue to come up. Uh, we appreciate all those who have been involved in Vacation Bible School, and we have need for only 50 more volunteers. 50 more volunteers. We have a lot of people working Vacation Bible School. We have a lot of kids coming. And if uh, God would lay it on your heart and you could help us out during that week, you can either sign up on the website, you could go out in the lobby after this service, or you could actually go to training. I'll be at that training with me. You can train with me. That'd be a privilege, wouldn't it? Uh, right after this service. And uh, there's some great stuff going on over there. And uh, we, we would just uh, really appreciate you being, uh, participating in that. Also, uh, as you guys know, we have been doing uh, uh, strategic planning. About 1,300 of you responded, and we got information back. We've been working on that for several months. We have three goals. We continue to communicate those. We'll do that. But I wanted to share this one thing with you today. We uh, know that and heard from you that we need to communicate better. So we've been working on that, and how do we communicate, and what's the best way to communicate? And as you know today, there's so many avenues of communication. So... We uh, had you do a survey. 700 of you respond to that, to that survey. And here are the, here's the results that uh, came from you. Pretty good uh, universe of, uh, of, of study, uh, 700 people. One, website, 68% of you get your information about the Bible Chapel from the website. So we continue to work on the website to make sure it's clear, easy to navigate. 62% uh, in-service announcements. So that's the challenge with communication because a lot of people only come every other week or two times a month. And so the word is if you want everyone to hear something, you have to say the same thing for three Sundays in a row. So if you're just depending on in-service announcements, that can be challenging for some people. 61% uh, uh, program, 45% uh, email newsletter. How many of you get the email newsletter? Okay, we'll work on that. Uh, word of mouth, friends, 39%. Uh, text, 34%. And then a quarter of you get your information from Facebook. Don't believe a word of it, by the way. No, uh, no, no, no. It's a good tool, uh, Facebook, uh, going back and forth. So that's how the information goes, and we're going to continue to work on communication. We asked you to do a survey. We wanted to give you the results, and we appreciate you participating any way we can help communicate better to you, let us know, because, man, that's why we're here, uh, to communicate to each other and build a community that God has for us. Let's pray together before we open God's Word. Father, we thank you that you're a God who cared so much about us that you would write down a love letter to us that you would protect it for all these years and that it would be from your heart to ours. And then you loved us so much that not only did you write this love letter, but you sent your son so that we could see what it looked like to, to know you and love you and we could have the opportunity to do that because of the work of Jesus. So communication is a big deal to you. And Father, we want to communicate well with each other. And right now, we want to communicate well your word. 
We can't do that unless you are the one who is directing our time. Our minds are going to be so distracted unless you focus them. Our ears are going to be filled with all kinds of noise unless you open them to hear from you. And our hearts, man, they are always hardened to certain areas. We have certain sins that we like to kind of coddle. And we pray, Father, that you would be the one that breaks through that today. So do your work. As always, we are dependent on you. And we pray your blessing on our time in Christ's name. Amen. All right, let me start with a couple questions here. First question is this. You're a believer. I want you to raise your hand. I, I want you to raise your hand on this. You're a believer. You're walking with the Lord, doing the things that He's called you to as best you can. You're not perfect. But there are times you feel you're just dropping a ball. There are times you feel you're just not doing everything God's got in store for you to do. Anyone else feel like that? All right, most of you. Now, some Christians obviously have the Antonio um, Brown syndrome, right? God, you're just blessed to have me on your team, right? <laughs> Cheap shot, I know, but... But for the rest of us, we, we read the Bible, we do our best to read it every day, we miss some days, and, and then we think, oh man, I just can't measure up. We, we pray, but there are times when we feel like it's, our prayers are kind of bumping against this invisible ceiling or that we're not praying deeply enough, or fervently enough, or passionately enough, or long enough. We give. But you know what? You can always give more, can't you? We are all wealthy compared to the rest of the world, and some people are blessed with a lot of wealth. And I found that those who are blessed with the most wealth struggle the most in their giving because they never know is it enough? I spoke with a guy one time at, at his business in his boardroom, and he was saying, you know, God has blessed us so much. We've really enjoyed our life, and we've given a lot to the Lord. And then he just stopped and looked at the ceiling and said, but I always wonder, have we given enough? You help out other people, but there's always someone else to help, isn't there? And you get tired, and you want to take a break, and you kind of feel like you need to kind of pull over to the side of the road and refill your tank. And then you feel guilty that you weren't there when that friend needed you or you let them down. Do you ever feel like you're not doing enough for the Lord? By the way, that feeling is one way to know that you're a true believer. It's the dangerous times when we flirt with sin, when we don't serve, when we aren't giving, and we really don't give a rip. That's when it's dangerous. 
Take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 3. We're going to look today beginning at verse 19. John, when he writes this, is an older man of his day. He's an elder statesman in the church. And he's writing to a group of, of believers. He's writing to actually to several churches. And he's talking about community, and he's talking about patterns of sin, and he's talking about, man, if, if you really want to grow in your Christian life, you need to know for certain that you are a child of God. You need to know for certain that you belong to Him, because when you belong to Him, that gives you the freedom to really live a full-out, full-orbed life for Jesus Christ. And so John starts this section, our section today, in verse 19 by saying this. Verse 19, he says, by this we shall know that we are of the truth. I love the way John says that. That's just another way of saying you are a believer. You are walking in the truth. You are following hard after Jesus. You've committed your life to Christ. However you want to say it, John says it this way, you are of the truth. And he says, by this we shall know we don't have to doubt. We don't have to guess. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to wait till the end of our life and hope that we've done more good deeds to outweigh our bad deeds. John says right now, today, you can know that you are of the truth, that you're walking with Jesus, and we can reassure our heart before him, our heart, that, that central part of our emotions and our thinking and our will and our desires. We can reassure our heart. We can know with certainty that we belong to him. But John says there's a way you can do this, and he says it's by this. So what's he talking about when he says by this? Well, you've got to go back up and look at the verses before because he's tying this section into the last, verse 17 and 18. He says, but if anyone, remember uh, this section before as we talked about last time, he's saying you love one another. This is how you know you're in. This is how you know you're, fa- this is how you know you're of the truth. You love one another. And then John got, John got very practical. He said, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need. So you have the resources, you have the money, you have the time, you have the spiritual maturity, and you see your brother in need, either physical, financial, uh, uh, emotional, spiritual. You see it, it's not a passing glance, it's not a rumor, it's just not something you heard. God puts it in front of you. You see it, and you don't do anything about it. Then John says, time out. How can the love of God even be in you? That, that is distinguishing mark of a believer. When God is in us, when his love is in us, when his spirit resides in us, we are looking for ways that we can help others. That's just part of our character. Verse 9, uh, 18, little children, let us not love in word and talk, Let's just not talk about how much we love. Let's just not sing about it, but in deed and truth. And so John says, by this, by knowing someone's in need, by having the resources, time, money, energy, spiritual maturity, whatever the resource is to deal with it, you get in it, you deal with it. John says, by this, if we go back to verse 19, by this you will know that you are my disciples. You will know you're of the truth if you do these things. 
Now, John, in our section last time, hit things pretty hard. John speaks in black, he writes in black and white. No gray areas. And he hit it pretty hard last week. He said, you're in or you're out. Either doing this or you're not. You got to pick it up. But he also knew that as soon as he said that, he was writing to some people who are just hard-hearted and they needed to be hit over the head with a two-by-four, figuratively speaking. But he also knew that he was speaking to a lot of tender hearts because of their background at home, because of their religious background, because of their church background. He knew he was speaking to people who are going to be guilty because they never feel they do enough, no matter what. These are the people when I chat, do we have a sermon or a teaching to serve? They're always up saying, I'm serving 15 places, but I know I need to be serving 16 places. These are the people with tender hearts. John knew he's writing to those people. So notice what he says in verse 20. For whenever our heart condemns us, whenever we feel guilty, whenever we feel conviction, whenever we feel um, condemnation in this verse, here's what we know. God is greater than our heart. He knows everything. What's he saying there? When we feel this conviction, when we feel this condemnation, God is greater than our heart. He knows everything. What's John saying? Well, John had this friend named um, Peter. You ever heard of him? And James and John, they were called the sons of thunder because of their brashness and their hard-headedness. But, I mean, compared to Peter, they were mild. Peter was outspoken. Peter was always the first uh, to give his opinion. Peter was always the first to speak his mind. Uh, Peter, a couple times, uh, counseled the Lord as to what was the best for Jesus, because he always knew best. And um, he got himself in trouble a few times. So Jesus said one day, we're going to Jerusalem, and I'm going to die on a cross. And Peter said, not a good idea. You shouldn't do that, Jesus. Don't talk like that. That's going to hurt the morale. And remember what Jesus said? Get behind me, Satan. You're speaking Satan's language. I already have those temptations. He keeps coming at me with that. Another time, right before the cross, Jesus said, go into Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over to the religious leaders and I'm going to die. And every one of you are going to leave me. Remember what Peter said? Not me. Even if all these others run from you, even if they cowered out, Jesus, you can count on me. In fact, I will be with you if you go to prison. I will be with you if you go to death. I will never leave you. And Jesus looked at him and said, Peter, before you hear the rooster crow in the morning, you will have denied me three times. 
And that's what happened. Peter and John actually followed Jesus at a distance. And while Jesus was in the high priest's home on those fake trials, Peter and John were out in the courtyard warming themselves by a fire. And three times, someone said first, hey, you're with Jesus. And he said, no, what? And then someone else said, hey, I think I saw you with Jesus. He said, nope, not me. And then the third time, someone said, yep, there you were with Jesus. And Peter said, man, I don't even know what you're talking about. And as soon as those words came out of his mouth, Luke says this, Jesus came out of that house. Just think about this. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Peter just said, man, I don't know him. I don't even know what you're talking about. And he looked up and there was Jesus. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Can you even imagine that emotion? Can you imagine that failure? Can you imagine that guilt? Three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. And now Peter has a lot of conflicting emotions to deal with. Man, he can't believe it. He's overjoyed. But he knows he's going to have to face Jesus, the person, his Lord, his Savior, his Master, that he denied three times. How do you do that? Several uh, post-resurrection appearances of Jesus and in those appearances, where it's never recorded that Peter had any conversation with Jesus. This outspoken disciple who was always the first to speak, now he's keeping his mouth shut. Later on, Jesus appears at the, so- at the shore. Uh, you remember the disciples went fishing. Peter was out there. And John sees a man on the shore as they're out in the boat, And he says, that's Jesus. And Peter dives into the water. Scripture says he threw himself into the water. And he goes to the shore. But we have no record that he spoke with Jesus. He kind of hung back until the rest of the the disciples got there. Jesus fixed breakfast for them. Again, there's no record of uh, Peter and Jesus talking except in verse 15. When they had finished breakfast... Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? What's Jesus saying? You're the guy who's going to go to prison with me. Do you really love me more than these? You said you did. And he said, yes, Lord, you you know I love you. And then Jesus said, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, You know, you know I love you. Mark that down. You know I love you. I know it hasn't looked like it. I know what I did didn't didn't prove it. But you know I love you. And then Jesus says, feed my, uh, tend my sheep. And then he said a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know what? You know everything. 
you know I love you. And Peter said, or Jesus said, feed my sheep. What's, what's, what's going on there? Peter is saying, Lord, I denied you three times even after I said, if the others run, I won't. I failed you miserably. I feel that guilt. So it doesn't look like by my actions, I love you. But, what's Peter say? You know my heart. You know my heart. You know everything you know I love you. I can't help, I, I don't know this, but I can't help but think John is thinking of that story when he writes 1 John chapter 3, verse 20. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts, for he knows everything. He knows everything. When we are condemned, when we feel guilty, and we will, there are a couple things we can do. I'll tell you a third in a second. But one, John's already told us, sometimes we are guilty, and we need, need to confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's in a context of saying you're going to sin as believers. If we say we don't sin, we're a liar, and the truth isn't in us, John said. So we're going to sin, but we got to know when we sin, we need to quickly go to the Lord and say, I'm sorry for that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to live there. I don't want that to be a pattern of my life. I confess my sin before you. Sometimes it's just, Lord, I just don't feel like I'm doing enough. Am I really, am I really in? Am I really part of your family? In those times, John says, just rest in God's love. Because he knows your heart. Yeah, you failed. And you're going to fall. Yeah, you sin, and you're going to sin. Yeah, you're struggling with how much to give, and you're going to do that. Yeah, you're struggling with how much to serve, and you're going to do that. Yeah, you know that someone needed your help, and you didn't quite get it around to help them, and you know that. You know that, looking at that verse ahead, you saw that person, how does the love of God dwell in you? And you say, man, how did the love of God dwell in me? I didn't, I didn't quite get it done, did I? And John says, okay, that's true, but just know you're still a believer. You're still a child of God. He knows everything. He knows your heart. He called you to himself. And by the way, you love him only because he first loved you. He made you his child. He has you in the palm of his hand. He's never going to let you go. Yeah, there are times we need to confess our sins and there are times when we simply say, Lord, I blew it again. But you know my heart. You know everything. You know that I love you. Even when I don't show it sometimes. Look at verse 21. Beloved, if our heart does not 
condemn us, we have confidence before God. When we experience God's forgiveness, if we confess our sins, when we experience God's love, when we rest in that love, and we feel His peace wash over us, when we don't have that condemnation, we know that we are the child of God and will forever be. We have confidence. And that word confidence means freedom to speak. Freedom to say our, our heart, to share our heart. Freedom to speak our mind. We have such confidence with the Father that we can go before Him even when we failed and share what's on our heart. And then John says in verse 22, whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we know His commandments and do what pleases Him. Whatever we ask, we receive from Him. Sometimes it's, Lord, I just need Your peace because I keep feel like I, feeling like I'm falling short. Lord, I need Your forgiveness because I've failed again. Sometimes when we read this verse, it's like, oh yeah, we ask for a million dollars or we ask for that job to come or we do that. Okay, we can ask those things too. But the spiritual component is, Lord, get my heart right. And when we ask God, get my heart right, then we're going to ask for the right things. John explains it. You can ask whatever you want because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. So when we're in that mode, when we're doing what pleases him, then the ending of our prayer always ends with what? Jesus gave us the example. Lord, here's what I want. Here's what I need. Here's what I think I need. I don't know what I need sometimes. I know what I want. Now, not my will, but what? Your will be done. By the way, that's not a cop-out. That's not a lack of faith. That's the way Jesus prayed. In fact, John tells us that's the way we should pray over in chapter 5, verse 14. He says this, <clears throat> this is the confidence we have toward him. You want to have confidence? You want to have freedom to speak? You want to ask anything you want to ask? This is the confidence we have that if we ask anything, what? According to his will, he hears us. And so that's why when we pray, Lord, I want this healing to take place. You know it. I want this situation to go away. I want this peace to come. But you know what? I want your will more than anything else. Because you may be having me in a spot that you are stretching me like crazy. And you want to keep my heart stirred a little bit longer. It may not be your will for me to be healed. I don't understand it. But it may not. It may not be your will for that job to come that I've been dreaming about or that next level of the job. Nevertheless, your will, not my will, be done. In verse 23, John kind of wraps up this section with what one commentator says. I love the way this commentator says it. He says, this is a, is a compressed creed. Here's everything we believe in this one little verse. And this is the commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus 
Christ. The Son of God, He is fully God, He is Christ, He's the Messiah, He's the one we've been waiting for, and He is Jesus, He is God in the flesh. When Scripture says to believe in the name of something, it means to believe in the totality of something. So when we believe in the name of Jesus, we are saying we believe in everything Jesus said, and we want to obey it. We believe in everything Jesus is, and we want to worship him for it. We believe in everything Jesus did, and we want to respond to it in the right way. That makes sense? We believe in everything, the totality of the person of Jesus. That's why the writer, the uh, commentator says it's a compressed creed. We believe in everything there is to believe about Jesus, And to prove that, John's back to his uh, challenge to us, right? What do we do? We love each other just as he commanded us. Now, one more important thing in this verse, or in in this section. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him, and by this, we know, someone can say that one again, right? So whoever, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, is a follower of God, is of the truth. John said it earlier, of the truth. Now he's saying abides in God, follows after Jesus, a believer. He abides in God, God abides in him. And by this, by God abiding in us, by God living in us, by this abiding... We know, we have no doubt, that he abides in us. How do we know that? By the Spirit whom he has given. By the Holy Spirit. Paul says it this way. Jot down uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 16. Paul says, for all who are led by the Spirit, are, are, uh, who, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, daughters of God, it's generic. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry what? Abba, Father. Abba is an Aramaic word, is our English word daddy. An intimate, endearing term. We just, that's mind blowing, isn't it? We can look at the God who created, who spoke the world into existence, and say, through Jesus, Abba, Father, Daddy, Father. Now here's a verse you need to underline, highlight, bold, and memorize. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are what? children of God. What's John saying? He's saying sometimes we're going to sin and that sin is going to cause us guilt and we're going to confess our sins like 1 John 1 9 says. Sometimes we're going to be at a spot in our life where we just don't feel like we're measuring up and we're going to rest in God's love. Sometimes we're going to say, 
is this really for real? Seriously? God sent his son? God sent his son into the world and Jesus died on a cross for my sins? Is this for real? Other times it might be. Have I really done this? Have I trusted in Christ? Sometimes for me, that's uh, when I'm trying to fall asleep. Not always, but sometimes. Am I really in? I mean, there are a lot of religious leaders in the New Testament who weren't, right? Am I really in? Have I, am I a child of God? And that's when John says, not in an audible voice, but the spirit who lives within us testifies with our spirit that we're a child of God. Not in an audible voice, but there is within. God, the spirit lives within the believer saying, you are mine. And you don't have to doubt it. You belong to me and you always will. Will you ever feel like you've done enough? Probably not. Will there be times you sin and need to confess your sins? Absolutely. But I got to tell you, it's not based on what you've done for me or will do for me. It's all based on what I've done for you through Jesus. And you can't add one thing to that. You are mine. So John's saying, there's some things we got to do, right? We need to demonstrate this love within us. We need action. We need to help other people out. We need to love one another and everything that means practically. Not just talk about it, but do it. And sometimes, through the stuff of life, we feel like we're not doing everything we should do. Sometimes it's the top of the hill. Sometimes it's in the valleys. But in either one of those spots, as this song is going to remind us, we're going to sing it before communion. In either one of those spots, we know this. We are never alone. And we're never alone because of what Jesus did for us, not because what we have done or are doing or plan to do for him. It's all his work. So as we prepare for communion, I want you to listen to the words of the song. Whether you're in the hills or valleys, you're not alone. And as you hear this song, just know it's all because of Jesus. It's all because of what Jesus has done for us. And nothing can change that. We can rest in his love. We can say, God, I blew it again, but you know my heart. You know everything. You know I love you. And then sometimes the Spirit comes and says, you are mine and will forever be. Never alone. Father, be with us as we listen to these words and as we prepare our hearts for communion. I pray, Father, that you would be with any person here who's feeling distanced from you today. Maybe because of something they've done. Maybe just a time of, of stillness or stagnation in their life. Maybe they're just tired and worn out, even by doing the right stuff.
Remind them today that they're never alone. And then as they hold the bread in the cup a little later, remind them why. It's all because of Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. tears away I felt the pain of heartbreak and I've seen the brighter days and I've prayed prayers to heaven from my lowest place and I have held your blessings God you give and take away and no matter what I have your grace is enough and no matter where I am I'm standing in your love on the mountains i will bow my life to the one who sent me there in the valley i will lift my eyes to the one who sees me there when i'm standing on the mountain i didn't get there on my own when i'm walking through the valley i know i am not alone your god of the hills and valleys Hills and valleys, God of the hills and valleys, and I am not alone. I've watched my dreams get broken, in you I hope again. And no matter what I know, I'm safe inside your hands. On the mountains I will bow my life to the one who sent me there. In the valley I will lift my eyes to the one who sees me there. When I'm standing on the mountain I didn't get there on my own. When I'm walking through the valley I know I am not alone. Your God of the hills and valleys. Hills and valleys, God of the hills and valleys, and I am not alone. And Father, you give and take away every joy and every pain. Through it all, you will remain. And over it all, Father, you give and take away every joy and every pain. Through it all, you and over it all, on the mountains I will bow my life. In the valley I will live my eyes. Oh, on the mountains I will bow my life to the one who sent me there. In the valley I will live my eyes to the one who sees me there. When I'm standing on the mountain, I didn't get there on my own. When I'm walking through the valley, I know I am not alone. No, I'm not alone. And I know that I am not alone. Your God of the hills and valleys, He's got the hills, and I am not alone. God of the hills, 
God of the valleys, God of the hills and valleys, and I am not alone.